Kathy Dwyer, and I'm with the NSH, and I am talking today with Jeremy Johnston, and he is doing a workshop, number 84, on equipment validation, clinical versus GLP. Good afternoon, Jeremy. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks, Kathy. Great. So uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about what uh, you are going to be presenting um, this year at the NSH in St. Louis. And I'm always interested in equipment validation, being that I am on the Quality Management Committee, and we always get asked uh, questions about validations, verification, revalidation. So I'm very excited to see that you are uh, presenting a presentation on this. So if, so I'm going to start with my first question for you, Jeremy. If I was sitting in your workshop, what is one of the most surprising things I would learn about equipment validation versus revalidation in the clinical and GLP environment? Yeah, so, you know, validations and verifications are something that I are near and dear to my heart. But um, I think the most surprising thing to me is despite – GLP standards being pretty stringent and higher in, in most people's minds. Um, the thing that surprised me in putting this talk together is the similarities that you find across both of these with, within CAP and within like CLIA standards. Um, so yeah, I think equipment validations and verifications really, regardless of which camp you're in, are simply a means of ensuring that you're going to have a quality process um, in place initially and then that that process is upheld throughout the entire process. And there's there's lots, like you said, lots of different terminology. Um, we're going to give some forms and things, but I think the, the the common thing that surprised me was that there is so much similarity between the two. Well, that's good to know because I, I know when we start thinking about the GLP research versus clinical, we always think that research is, you know, they, they do much more validation but I find that even in our clinical settings that equipment validations are, are really becoming more stringent. Um, on some of the most recent changes in CAPRICLEA about equipment validation, um, what should uh, some of the folks who would be attending this course um, be aware of? Yeah, I'll, I'll mention a few things in the talk, that some of the changes that have come about. For, for the most part, these things have been established a long time ago, and they there really aren't a lot of changes that have come down. Um, the standards are pretty high, um, and I think they should be. And in our lab, we've adopted standards that are even higher than what, what CAP would put out in many cases. So um, I don't think people, attendees, will be surprised that um, the, the if, the, if they're running a similar laboratory to ours, the, the standards are already pretty high and already well-developed and well-thought-out, um, so shouldn't see a lot of changes coming down the pike for, for CAP or CLIA. Excellent. Um, when uh, people decide they're going to do um, equipment verifications, revalidations, and um, validations, uh, what do you think that they struggle the most with? Um, the the things I've seen in, in practice is we we often look at this as like a big hurdle to overcome and that this is something impeding us from doing what we need to do. So if you're bringing in a tissue processor, it's like, ah, we have to validate this thing before we can use it and how long is it going to take? And you got doctors nipping at your heels to try to, to bring it into place, into play. 
And I think just instilling a value in, in the validation or even the verification. Um, and that's sometimes a culture change within your institution, within your own self. Um, so just valuing it. And I think something else would be just taking an objective approach. I think sometimes we bring our own bias into these validations and either minimize it or take it to a degree that we don't need to. So taking an objective approach on what we actually need to, to set those um, those parameters and those expected results. Um, and then, you know, I, I guess something else um, would just be some of these categories. So we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to recommend implementing different categories for equipment validation. And I think sometimes we want to lump all of this in as the same risk. And so um, I think teasing out risk and the purpose for the validation and just kind of taking a, a step back from from our, that this is just something uh, that we have to do and check off our list um, and valuing and appreciating the process. Okay, great. Um, if someone wanted to study up on this before taking this workshop, do you suggest uh, anything that they should do, like review the CAP checklist, or is there any GOP information out there that they would uh, benefit from? Yeah, if they're, if they're a go-getter and they want to study before before coming to the workshop, I think that's awesome. That's more power to them. Um, obviously, if you're a, a CAP certified laboratory, your your CAP checklists are going to be a great place to start. Those are where you're going to get your your basic understanding, the criteria that we're trying to uh, adhere to. Um, with regards to GLP CAP, you know, like you already alluded to, you've given s several similar talks. Debbie Sienna, Liz Shapala, myself. Um, there's a lot of talks that already exist out out there in this space, a lot of resources on um, the block that would be um, supporting these types of things. So I think if people want to get it, really there's lots of resources out there. And if anybody wants to contact me or put something up on the block, we're, we're more than happy to help people um, become familiar with this topic before taking the class. There, there's never a bad time to be inquisitive about this kind of stuff. Okay, thank you, Jeremy. This has been Kathy Dwyer, and we hope that you uh, sign up for number 84, Equipment Validation. Mm -hmm.